On May 19, 1990, 19-year-old Chad Maurer would come home on his lunch break to grab a quick bite to eat and head back to work at his job in Madison, Wisconsin. Later that day, Chad's parents would stop by his work, only to find he was nowhere to be found. Two days later, 150 miles away in South Chicago, Chad would be found in a garage, dead from what appeared to be suicide. However, over time, several questions would start to be raised. This is Midwest Mystery Files, Episode 20, The Strange Death of Chad Maurer. Hello everyone, and welcome to Midwest Mystery Files. I'm your host, Jeremiah, with just a few quick things before we start. Midwest Mystery Files is a true crime podcast focused on missing and murdered cases within the Midwestern region of the United States. I can be found on all major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube with delayed episodes. Social media and contact info will be listed at the end of the episode. Two other things I want to touch on before we begin. If you're tired of bland old me starting the episodes with only my voice, well, good news. I do have a theme song picked. I'm just trying to figure out how I want to most effectively use it. So, you can look forward to that on future episodes. Secondly... If you wish to support the podcast and help fund article and record searches, as well as get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and some voting rights, I encourage you to check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash midwestmysteryfiles. If you're not looking for perks, but want to just help out one time, I am on Venmo at MidwestPod. I'm currently sitting at one patron, so I would like to thank Laura for her help. Now... On to today's case. If you remember your Unsolved Mysteries episodes or enjoy rewatching the series in modern times, today's case may be a bit familiar to you. Chad Lee Maurer was born May 11, 1971, to John and Darla Dolly Maurer in Madison, Wisconsin. Chad was the only child of two entrepreneur parents, with his father John running a carpet and upholstery cleaning business and his mom, Dolly, owning a housekeeping service. Chad graduated from La Follette High School in 1989. He has been noted as being an avid BMX racer and a member of the American Bicycle Association. Outside of BMX racing, he was an active recreational bike rider and snowboarder. In May of 1990, 19-year-old Chad and his parents were living in an apartment complex in the Madison suburb of Monona, on what was then Sensen Avenue now known as Lake Point Drive. Chad had big ambitions, planning to move to Colorado for school as well as the opportunity to do much more snowboarding than he was able to do around Madison. To save for this move, Chad had spent some time working for his father, but was now working for the Village Peddler, a bicycle shop located on Monona Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin. Saturday, May 19th, 1990, started like any other day for Chad. It was a chilly Wisconsin day, despite it being spring, with a high of only 53 degrees and the sun hiding behind clouds that covered the sky. It would be the noon hour of this cold, cloudy day when Chad arrived at his family's apartment on his lunch break, making a quick sandwich for the road and borrowing $20 from his father, John, before getting into John's yellow 1968 Ford Mustang and heading back to work. A few hours after Chad had left for work, the Mowers needed some items from the hardware store, which was located only a few doors down from the village peddler. Upon arriving at the store, 
The couple noted that the yellow Mustang was nowhere to be seen. The two would enter the village peddler and ask owner George Godfrey if he knew where Chad was. The shop was rather busy at the time, and Godfrey would tell the Mowers that he wasn't sure, and that Chad may be with a customer in the back. Dolly Mower felt an uneasy feeling about the whole situation. But at the time, she was still confident that Chad would turn back up later in the day. However, the afternoon would soon turn to the evening, and the night would turn to morning, with no sign of Chad. Worried, Darla began calling friends of Chad's, trying to get an idea of where Chad may be. They would all state they had last seen Chad on May 18th for a bit at a party, but no one had seen him since. At this point, panic began to set in for Dolly. It was highly unlike Chad to go off without telling someone where he may be. Shortly afterwards, John Maurer would report Chad Maurer missing to the police. On May 21st, 150 miles away, in Southside Chicago, a maintenance worker would enter a garage in a residential complex on the 3300th block of South Michigan Ave and find a grisly discovery. Upon opening the overhead door and entering the garage, the worker would come upon John Maurer's yellow 1968 Mustang. Upon further investigation, he would find Chad Maurer slumped over inside the car, deceased. The ignition in the car would be turned on, but it had run dry of gas, indicating what seemed to be death by carbon monoxide poisoning. That evening, Chad and Darla Maurer would be at home, worrying and wondering where their only son could be. Then, the phone would ring. John would answer the phone, and in a trend that would continue throughout the case, received an exceptionally blunt statement from a Chicago policeman who said, quote, This is the Chicago police. Your son is dead. Carbon monoxide poisoning. He killed himself. Shock and disbelief would overcome the Mowers. The idea that their only son, who had shown no signs of depression, and had only big ambitions for the future, would drive all the way to Chicago and commit suicide was inconceivable to them. Dolly would tell Unsolved Mysteries in 1991, quote, My system went into shock. My brain went into shock. Chad had too much going for him. Chad had all his friends, and Chad loved life. Chad was not depressed. Chad was not down. He had so many goals. An autopsy from the Cook County Medical Examiner would indicate that Chad had died from asphyxiation from carbon monoxide, with no drugs or alcohol found in his system. And the Chicago Police Department would indicate no signs of foul play. It wouldn't be long, however, before a new picture would be painted, and the Mowers would begin to have more questions than answers. When Chad's body was returned to Madison and the Mowers had a chance to view him, they couldn't help but notice a few glaring marks on the body. Chad's knuckles had been skinned down to the bone, and he had a number of marks and bruises on his face and upper body, as well as deep bruising in his groin area, all marks indicating he had been in some sort of fight or altercation prior to his death. Furthermore, the funeral director would show the Mowers Chad's clothes, and they would be shocked to find that the white t-shirt he had been wearing was all bloody, and his pants had scuff marks on them, like he had been drugged along the ground. Once these discoveries were made, the Mowers would contact the Dane County Sheriff's Office and apprise them of the situation. Detectives with the office would advise the Mowers to wait on a burial and would soon be in contact with the Chicago Police Department, requesting both Chad's autopsy report as well as photos from the scene. In the photos, 
the Mowers, and Dane County Detective David Bongiovanni, would note a jacket on the seat beside Chad, as well as what appeared to be blood on the window. Chad's parents would note that despite the cooler weather, Chad did not take a jacket with him when he left the apartment, nor did he own a jacket like the one in the photograph. According to reports, the Chicago Police Department has never been in possession of that jacket, and Dane County Detective Bon Giovanni would tell Unsolved Mysteries, quote, The parents noted the jacket on the front seat was not a jacket they knew Chad owned. It would be interesting to know if the jacket size is consistent with Chad's size, or it may give us an idea of the basic build of somebody that may have been in the car with him. Chicago police have only been able to ascertain that sometime between the photos being taken and the car being removed, someone must have taken the jacket. Chicago Police Sergeant John Ridges would tell the Chicago Tribune in 1991 simply, quote, We just can't account for the jacket. The Mowers, in that same article, would state that to their knowledge, the blood on the window had also never been tested. The autopsy report would note some of the marks found on Chad's body, but the more notable thing to officials in Madison and Dane County was the level of carbon monoxide in Chad's bodies. The levels were at 74 to 80%, indicating that Chad was most likely already unconscious prior to the garage filling with carbon monoxide. Detective Bon Giovanni would tell Unsolved Mysteries, quote, My understanding is that levels where they're conscious at the time they succumb to carbon monoxide, is about 50 to 60%. Levels that get up to 74 to 80% are more consistent with a person being unconscious or sleeping when they succumb to carbon monoxide poisoning. And that's because people naturally have a tendency to breathe deeper and more methodically when they're sleeping than when they're awake. On the carbon levels, Chief Administrator for the Cook County Medical Examiner in Illinois, Roy Dames, wouldn't have much to say. On the marks, however, he would tell the Chicago Tribune, quote, The pathologist handled the case perfectly. There's no question Maurer was involved in a fight. However, it had nothing to do with the cause of death. He died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Should someone investigate where he got the marks? Probably. Deeper and deeper, the mystery into Chad's death would go. In a local story on the case, George Godfrey, owner of the Village Peddler, where Chad worked, told the press that someone, or something, had scared Chad before he died. A few weeks later, someone would shoot the windows of the village peddler out. The shooting would supposedly be found to be unconnected, but the comments from Godfrey are interesting for reasons that we'll discuss in a bit. After the comments from Godfrey, as well as the discoveries from the Mowers, Chad's death would officially be changed from suicide to undetermined. But the question remained, who would have wanted to hurt Chad, and why? On October 22, 1990, a Madison Crime Stoppers program would run a piece on Chad, and a new, bothersome tip would arise. An anonymous tipster would claim that Chad had become involved in a drug deal with two men in his apartment complex who happened to have moved from the south side of Chicago. This tip would be coupled with statements from a friend of Chad's, who claimed Chad once told her he had transported marijuana across Madison, and another friend who claimed Chad had been paid to transport a drug dealer to Milwaukee on two separate occasions the previous year. On this, Sergeant Ridges, with the Chicago police, would tell Unsolved Mysteries, quote, 
We know through our intelligence sources that there is a pipeline of narcotics trafficking from Chicago to Madison. Now, there's nothing in Chad's background that would really suggest that he's involved with narcotics. But because of this conduit, there's possibility that he might have been tricked into being involved in narcotics and narcotics trafficking. Chad's parents have admitted in interviews that Chad did smoke a little too much weed and had tried to LSD, but they didn't believe he was involved in trafficking or any other major drug deals. As far as the men Chad was supposedly involved with from the south side of Chicago, investigators were able to find three individuals who had moved from Chicago to Madison only a few weeks before Chad's death, one of which would later be arrested and sentenced to 27 years in prison for another crime. However, if there ever was a link between them and Chad found, it's never been made public. It's at this juncture that the case essentially becomes cold, and there has been little in terms of updates over the years. Many articles from the time, and the few modern ones I can find, all take a staunchly negative view of the Chicago Police Department and the Cook County Medical Examiner, and it's understandable to see why. In 1991, Chicago Police Sergeant John Ridges would tell the Chicago Tribune, quote, We can't make a determination based on the information we have, whether it was a homicide, a suicide, or an accident. To say it is a homicide, you have to say someone forced him into that garage with gas masks or a gunpoint, and we can't say that. This is a statement where he's not particularly wrong, as they don't have the exact answer and are missing major clues as to what exactly happened. It's another statement from the same article that raises an eyebrow for me. He would tell the Tribune, quote, It probably could have been done better. There were some problems, but the Kennedy assassination could have been handled better too. It had the earmarks of suicide. The ignition was on, the battery dead, the gas tank empty. The problem was, the victim didn't fit the suicide victim profile. If he was going to commit suicide, why would he drive 150 miles to do it? The second part of that comment sounds like some solid reasoning. However, the first part is apples to oranges. Comparing some mistakes in a mysterious investigation to the assassination of a president really feels like he's minimizing Chad's death here and trying to shrug off mistakes as minor. Losing a key piece of evidence, such as a jacket, and not paying attention to the fact that the deceased individual had been absolutely pummeled prior to his death are hardly minor mistakes. Roy Dames, with the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office, doesn't seem to help things either. I quoted him earlier from the Tribune article stating that someone should have investigated the marks and bruises on Chad's body. In a 1992 Los Angeles Times article, he steps it up a notch, saying, quote, Is it really important to make note of every single mark? If he had 100 marks or 125 marks, does it really make a difference? It was carbon monoxide poisoning. While it's not the medical examiner's job to investigate a murder, I do think it was up to him to stress the extent of the pre-death damage to investigators to really drive home the fact that there could have been foul play here. Would it have made a difference to investigators? Who knows? But at least the extra effort from somebody would have been there. While it's all just theory, I really do feel how a lot of others who have wrote about this case feel. Chad Maurer 
was found deceased in a very rough part of Chicago. The area itself had seen 166 murders that year. Investigators were already backed up on cases, and here they found one that was easy to write off as a suicide. A non-Chicago resident, even. Making it even less of their problem. With rumors of drug trafficking, they had even less reason to care about what they believed to be another criminal. What they didn't count on, though, was two dedicated, relentless, and loving parents who were not going to let distance stop them from pressuring a police department to find out what happened to their son. If only that department had acted like they should have from the get-go, we might have answers now. Even if he was moving drugs, just for a bit of money, he certainly didn't deserve to be murdered. Chicago is in Cook County, just north of Will County, Illinois, where Robin Abrams, who we talked about in episodes 17 and 18, disappeared from, right around this same time. I guess shitty and indifferent police work was just the norm in that area of Illinois at the time. Chad's parents have done what they can to remember him. For years, they had a memorial for him in the local papers on the anniversary of his death. John Maurer also loves bike racing, and for years, while he raced, he wore a logo designed by Chad's friends in his honor. A smiley face crossbones, with X's for eyes and a C attached to the top. Dolly's license plate reads Chad M, and she keeps a photo of Chad in the rear window of her vehicle. Dolly and John divorced in 2007, but they continue to do everything they can to remember their son and embrace the love they have for him. There's only ever been a handful of theories of what exactly happened to Chad Maurer, most of which stem from allegations of drug use and trafficking. As far as drugs go, there's a lot of he said, she said statements, but nothing really verified. We have an anonymous tipster and two friends making claims that Chad was involved in some sort of drug deal with guys from South Chicago, as well as claims of him driving drug dealers around, both around Madison as well as to Milwaukee. Now, by his parents' own admission, they did say Chad smoked a lot of weed and he tried LSD. However, this isn't particularly anything abnormal for a young man, and neither of these things means he was in deep with drug traffickers. While Chad knowing the guys from Chicago is a little dicey in accuracy, as it came from a tipster, one can maybe assume, though, the words of his friends might be a little more trustworthy. Chad was saving money to move to Colorado, and while he did have a job, there's always the possibility he could have just needed a bit more money. Is it possible whoever Chad was buying his weed from was paying him a bit to drive him from place to place every so often? Maybe. Or maybe his friends were just confused as to who he was giving rides to. Unfortunately, we don't know either way. What we do know is something happened on May 19th, 1990. Something that led to Chad's death. Either Chad skipped out on work and willingly went to Chicago for one reason or another, and things went wrong quickly, leading to an altercation that ended with him being put back into his car unconscious and being shut in that garage. Maybe he was promised money to drive someone, or something, possibly drugs, to Chicago, but they never planned to pay him. Maybe he did get a wild hair and decided to skip out on work, and trouble found him. Trouble so severe, it kept him from ever coming home. Or, maybe he was forced by someone upon leaving his apartment to drive to Chicago, and there was a high likelihood that he was never going to make it home, no matter what. 
once again, possibly drug-related. I feel like the final option is the most likely, as Chad had a good job that he seemed to like, and it seems strange that with such big ambitions, he would just blow the place off so easily. But we can't 100% rule out or confirm any of those scenarios. The idea that he committed suicide can't be fully ruled out either, although I find it unlikely. Chad had his future planned, showed no signs of depression or mental illness, and was within weeks of fulfilling his plan to move to Colorado. Furthermore, why would he drive all the way to Chicago in his dad's Mustang just to find a random garage to do the deed in? And where did the bruises come from? I hardly doubt he would have stopped to pick a fight beforehand. Just none of it makes any sense. What we do know is that a young, bright, hopeful man died under mysterious circumstances. A married couple's only son, gone, never to return. And if a police department had decided to care before being pressured, there could have maybe been some justice for Chad and his parents. Dolly Maurer would tell Unsolved Mysteries, quote, All we know in Chad's case is that Chad is dead, and he ended up in Chicago. And we know he was beaten up. But why was he beaten up? How did he end up in Chicago? There are so many questions, and every day we wake up and we think a different thing that could have happened to Chad. I know it won't bring Chad back, but we cannot rest, and we cannot put Chad to rest until we really have the answers to this case. If you have any information on the death of Chad Maurer, please contact the Chicago Police Department at 312-746-6000. If you're looking for more information, there are archived articles from the Chicago Tribune and the Los Angeles Times, as well as several modern articles from various mass and publications. The case is covered in Season 4, Episode 13 of Unsolved Mysteries. It is the first case covered in that episode. And the Trail Went Cold podcast did an excellent job covering the case in Episode 173. If you wish to let me know what you think happened, have case suggestions or comments, or just want to follow me and the show on social media, I can be found on Instagram at Midwest Mystery Files, Twitter at Files Midwest, and on Facebook by searching for Midwest Mystery Files. You can also email me at MidwestMysteryFilesPod at gmail.com. I do also post photos and sometimes links relevant to each case on social media, mainly on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify, please feel free to rate and review this show. This helps make the show more visible in searches and, more importantly, helps bring attention to the cases I cover. Thank you to all who have done so already. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, everyone. And I will see you all next time.